Well, as I just prayed, we're, we're going to be speaking about baptism today, and we're kind of in between sermon series uh, until we get into uh, the last week of November, which is the first week of our Christmas series. So we're three weeks away from Christmas series, which is, which is crazy to think, but we have some um, leverage of what to talk about. We've had this November 21st Baptism Sunday scheduled for, uh, a, uh, for a few months now, and so I thought today would be a great moment, two weeks out, just to talk about baptism and really to answer the question, why we baptize? And, you know, it's something we don't talk about often as a church. Uh, many times we just kind of do it. We don't think about what it means, what it represents. And, and even myself, I, I, I realize now, I just kind of counted it up, I'm getting close to 200 sermons at this church. I've yet to do a sermon on baptism specifically, and, and so I'm kind of part of that problem. Uh, I've referenced it at many times, but, but today we're going to talk all about baptism, uh, what it means, why we do it, and really understand the significance of this moment in the lives of believers. And so before we get into the scriptures, uh, it's kind of a page flipper today. We're going to look at a few different um, scriptures, but we're going to look at our statement of faith as Maple Plank Community Church. And so our statement of faith, it's, it's 16 items. If you're a newcomer, if you're watching us online, uh, maybe if you're a member, uh, I encourage you to know this. This is a requirement for members to acknowledge that they've read this and agreed with all of our statement of faith. Uh, but it's available on our website under the About Us tab. But this is point number 10, and as it's written uh, here in the statement of faith, Jesus commanded that the ordinance of water baptism and communion be observed by the church. We believe immersion to be the mode of baptism to be followed. And you'll see some of the scriptural references that are linked to that. So really what they're saying, there's two great ordinances of Christ for the church and for its followers. The first is baptism. The second is communion. And so today we're actually talking about the first and practicing uh, the second. But a few quick observations as we look at the overview of baptism and what we believe as Maple Plain Community Church about baptism. Uh, first, that baptism is by water. And you are probably saying, duh, right? That's kind of implied with baptism, and it, it's, it seems that everyone uh, understands this. But there is actually a small, uh, small portion of believers who think that baptism is, is more of a metaphysical or a figure, figure of speech, that it's a baptism of the Spirit, and it's not something we do, it's something God does for us. And, and that is true in its own sense, but there is this physical baptism with physical water that we are instructed to do. It's, it's a literal baptism uh, with water that we're instructed to do. So the majority of Christians are going to agree with this, now where we start to, to differentiate a, a bit is now baptism is by immersion. And that's what we believe at our church. And what this means is there's this moment of baptism where you are completely under the water and you come up. Uh, this view is held primarily by uh, evangelicals, Pentecostals. Uh, it's something that in a Baptist church, for example, you would see uh, believed as well. Uh, but it's, it's something that we don't view legalistically here at Maple Plain Community Church. So it's if, if you get baptized and one of your strands of hairs above or your pinky toe comes above the water, we're not going to do it over again and say that one didn't count, but it is this, this idea that there is an immersion uh, into the water. Uh, baptism, uh, when it's defined from the Greek, can be 
directly uh, defined as, as immersion. Uh, the third, uh, we're getting more specific here, is that baptism is for the a professing believer of Christ. And what this means is, is you, ha- you already have a faith in Christ. Baptism is not a- an act of initiation into the faith, but rather it's an act that happens after you profess faith in Jesus. And every biblical example we see of baptism in the New Testament comes from one who has already placed their faith in Christ and, and professes that faith in him. And for here, we don't view this as a legalistic thing where you have to be a member of our church or you have to go through a, a long class. Um, but the, the only part is we would work as staff and as elders to just uh, see where you're at with your faith and, and assure that you do have that practicing and professing faith in Jesus. But when we see points two and three, it starts to really imply some other things as well about our church, that there is kind of an age or maturity level that you would reach first in order to be baptized. Because you wouldn't immerse an infant uh, underwater. An infant would not profess in, in uh, their own faith. And so that, as you know from our Child Dedication Sunday a few weeks ago, is that we dedicate infants, uh, but we baptize professing believers. And this is one of those things that might start to uh, differentiate you from other faith faith practices if you believe this. Uh, And I'm one that would say that you can reasonably disagree with another believer on this one and still have unity. And so I, I wouldn't want this to be one of those things that ends you in fellowship or that would make you disassociate with other believers. So you can you can take a stance on this, but you don't have to make an enemy about about this point and when it comes to uh, baptism being for older or maturing believers. Uh, the, the last point is probably the most important that I want to stress this morning, is that baptism is not a prerequisite of salvation. And so what I mean by that is baptism is not something that saves you. Okay? It's not the act that initiates you into Christianity but rather it's what a Christian does after they become a believer. And so this is where it's, it's probably okay to take a harder stance on this because some faith practices may believe that baptism will be the initiation that forgives you of your sins or baptism is what gives you the Holy Spirit. Uh, biblically, that's, that's not the idea we get. Uh, so the criminal on the cross, for example, is one who is forgiven of his sins while hanging on the cross next to Jesus, in which he assured this person, I will see you in paradise. That man was not baptized, but he did have faith in Christ. Uh, We're going to read about Cornelius later. He and all of his friends believed the message of Jesus and received the Holy Spirit before they were baptized. And we see very clearly in Acts, uh, sorry, Ephesians 2, that the only requirement for salvation is faith, faith in Christ. No work of ours. And so, long story short, baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't make you a Christian. It's something you do when you become a Christian. Okay, so that's a really long setup before we get into the scriptures today. But I just want us to all be working with the same general assumptions about baptism uh, before we look at the biblical uh, examples of that. But the first thing we'll look at is from uh, Matthew 28, verse 19, a verse uh, all of us probably know, especially after a missions conference last week. 
Uh, this is the Great Commission. This is the first verse of the Great Commission. And these are the final marching orders of Christ to his disciples. And baptism is in these orders. So we see the first point today is that baptism, when you become baptized, is an act of obedience as a believer. And so the Great Commission, as we know, is that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, this is a verse we've probably seen hundreds of times, and more often than not, we focus on the first part of verse 19. Go and make disciples. And then you forget about the next part of the commandment, which is to baptize them. And it's really impossible to obey the Great Commission to, and, and neglect the baptism part of it. This is an integral part of the command of Christ. And so this assumption is that when we uh, are baptized or when we baptize believers, we're simply being obedient to what Jesus has instructed the church to do. And this was taken very seriously by the early uh, disciples, the apostles of the church. And we're going to look through some examples in the book of Acts as the church was really being built and developed. It was this automatic step that when you became a believer in Christ, you were baptized. And it was immediate in a lot of, uh, a lot of cases. And you see these general statements of these multitudes or these thousands that would come to faith and Jesus, and then they were all baptized. But some really specific stories shows that this, this, this idea of baptism was just understood collectively by the Christian and the non-Christian alike. So we see this uh, man by the name of Cornelius that I referenced before. He's in Acts 10. This is a crucial moment in the book of Acts because it, it really started the ministry to the Gentiles by the apostle Peter who previously was very uh, resistant to that. But he saw that this gospel was reaching all people of all nations and all backgrounds. And so this devout, God-fearing man, who was a Roman centurion, a, a soldier of, of high honor, uh, was one who appears to be uh, practicing Jewish beliefs, though he was not of Jewish heritage. And he has this vision from God to send for this man named Simon Peter. He doesn't know what that means, but he sends his, his company, his soldiers, out to get Peter, who comes back. And now Peter comes and shares about Jesus with Cornelius and talks to him about this man named Jesus who did all of these miracles throughout Judea, who conquered death, and shares the gospel. And, and Cornelius now is having his heart uh, prompted by the Lord to respond to this message and, and does so. And not only he, but all who were with him heard the story and responded with praise to God. And the very first thing Peter said is, surely no one can stand in the way of these people being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he had all of them baptized. It was immediate. It was understood to be somewhat automatic. And going a little further in, in Acts 16, this is now on, on Paul's second missionary journey where they're going out further west into Macedonia. We see the first conversion of someone outside of Asia Minor, a woman named Lydia. 
a purple cloth salesperson, very specific about that, who was a, a God-fearing woman, as we understand, either she was a seeker or she was a Jewish uh, believer who was a Gentile. And, and now uh, Paul and his company share the gospel with Lydia. And she accepts, and her whole household accepts and is baptized, and she would go on to be important in the uh, founding of the Philippian church. And later on, uh, Paul and Silas get arrested, and this is the last story I'll share, but they get arrested, and they're put into prison in Philippi, and that's the moment where they start singing and, and hymns of praise to God, and, and the, the prison foundation shake, and all the doors fling open. And the jailer there, who's responsible for overseeing these prisoners, is distraught, nearly kills himself. But Paul and Silas say, we're here. And the jailer asks the question, knowing that these must be people of God, what must I do to be saved? And so they share the gospel. He responds, and he and his whole household are saved, and then immediately they were baptized. It's the command of Christ. It was just understood that this is what Christians do in obedience to him. Those are just a few of the many biblical examples that I hope you understand the point now. This is not, was not seen as an optional activity for these believers. And they really held closely to these final marching orders of their Savior to baptize these new disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, something we have to understand about obedience in this case is that what makes baptism meaningful is not just this rote obedience, this mechanical or uh, this reluctant obedience to just, I suppose i got to do this, but, but a joyful obedience to Christ's commands. And I think when you, when you look at obedience as just this checkbox kind of thing, like, I guess I have to do this, so I will. I, oftentimes it'll shrink your faith. It'll destroy your faith. At the very minimum, it could maintain your faith. But what really makes your faith grow and deepen in Christ is a joyful obedience in Him. That if you become a Christian, you are excited to be baptized. In a video that's been circulating for a couple years, uh, that will illustrate that. I'm, I'm going to show that to you now, what joyful obedience looks like when it comes to baptism. This morning, uh, we have accepted Christ as his Savior and as his Lord, and he will demonstrate his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, by willingly being baptized this morning. He's been waiting on this day a long time. <laughs> and so, Jordan, upon the profession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Go, George! So we have no videos of the early apostles and these baptisms with these new believers, but I anticipate that was the level of excitement you'd see from Cornelius and Lydia and the jailer. And these people who are coming to Christ, they can't wait to be baptized in joyful obedience to Christ. And obedience has always been a key characteristic of true Christ followers. And that's right in that great commandment, or the great commission, rather, 
that we teach these new disciples to obey everything Jesus had commanded them. And so baptism becomes that, that act of obedience, that joyful obedience for both the new believer and, and the church. So why do we baptize? Well, first, it's because we are obedient to the commands of Christ. But, but why baptism? Baptism specifically. It seems kind of odd. Uh, it's not found anywhere in the Old Testament. It's one of those um, things Jesus could have chosen anything, you know, secret handshake or matching T-shirts, but baptism, why baptism? Why did he choose that? Well, it's because baptism itself, the physical act, has very significant uh, meaning when you understand what it is that you are, are portraying. And we see that uh, fleshed out in the first part of Romans 6. And this is uh, Romans 6, chapter 4, that we are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And so we understand that baptism is this physical depiction of a believer's new life in Jesus, that you died to your old self and that you were raised to new life in Christ. And this is really us identifying in this moment that we, we understand that we, we, we uh, deserved death for our sin, that apart from Christ, the old us deserved death, but now Jesus died on our behalf. And so in that way, we die with him to this old self and we're raised into new life to walk with Christ. So essentially, baptism becomes this outward illustration of this inward reality for every true Christ follower. And it illustrates this, this crucial part of the Christian life. Something, again, that's already happened in you before you're baptized. It's this death to self and walking a new life that, that we don't always see in every professing Christian. Now, statistically speaking, if we took a survey of all Americans, about one-third would check a box that says, I'm a born-again Christian. Okay, but a lot of those people who check that box may not live lives that are any different than the two-thirds of the people who didn't check that box. And so the entry point of every Christian really is this new life in Christ that comes through faith. And it's not an optional part of the Christian life, it's the initiation of the Christian life. And so this water baptism, this immersion, and then this, this raising out of the water really illustrates this pivotal and, and beautiful moment in the Christian walk. It's what brings us all together as Christians, that who you were is no longer who you are in Christ. And we see this idea reinforced over and over again in the scriptures, some that you may know off the top of your head, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Galatians 2, 20, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I once lived in the flesh, I now live in faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To be clear, we can never know 
the hearts of people. We can never know if they're walking in new life or not. That's really between you and the Lord to know. Only God knows their hearts. But for the professing Christian, right, this is that moment that illustrates what we pray is true for everyone who professes love in Christ. At the forefront, at the foundation of every Christian life is this death to yourself, being raised into new life in the power of Christ. And baptism is the moment that publicly displays that reality. So why do we baptize? Well, because it illustrates our journey with Christ. The last point we'll make today is really uh, the moment we get to share with one another in these baptisms. That baptism is this powerful testimony. Now, something you could do, I suppose, by yourself, but I really think it's designed to be done with Christians, with people, with, even with unbelievers in these public areas. And, and we see this moment in the story of the Ethiopian uh, eunuch in Acts 8, that as they traveled along the road, I'm going to backfill this story in a second in case you don't know, know this one, but as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? This is a fresh convert in Christ here. And what happened in this story is that Philip the evangelist is prompted by the Spirit to go on this desert road that that comes from Jerusalem and then goes out, out west. And he is told to stand by this chariot. And on this chariot is this eunuch. We don't know his name, but he was a high official in the queen's court in charge of all the finances, is a person of prestige and power. And they're coming back from Jerusalem after they worshiped. And again, we don't know, is this a, deep, uh, a Jewish believer in deep faith? Or are they someone that's seeking Regardless, we know that they don't know Christ yet. And that's why Philip was there, was to share Jesus with him. And this eunuch was reading out loud out of the book of Isaiah uh, 53, the, the portion that talks about that he was like a sheep going off to his slaughter. And so Philip said, you know what this is referring to? And the eunuch said, how am I supposed to know unless someone tells me? So Philip shared the good news of Christ. It started with that verse and shared the whole story, and the eunuch responded in faith. So as you understand it, they're going down the road maybe just a little bit, and that's where we get caught up to this verse now. I have faith in Jesus. I see water. What are we waiting for? And so as we see, uh, the eunuch gave orders for the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Now, this is such a powerful part of our testimony as believers because we don't know who was with Philip and that eunuch. Certainly, there's the whole uh, party that was traveling. There's probably other passerbys that are on the road. And now he's making this public proclamation of, I am a Christ follower. And the old me is dead. The new me is being raised in newness of life to walk with Jesus. And it becomes this opportunity to really share who you are with people. And this is kind of like my own baptism story. Uh, I, I really came to Christ when I was a 16-year-old, and I was going to a youth group that eventually I went on this missions trip uh, to Peru with. And I was really at the point where I was growing in my faith a lot. 
I'd, I'd been down to Peru for about 10 days. It had the first experience of sharing the gospel with people and, and praying with them as they started relationships of Christ, with Christ. Uh, but I did not think about my baptism at that moment. And on the last day of the trip, we went to the public beach in Peru in the summer here, which is the winter there. So it was cold. It was windy. There's all these people, strangers walking around, and, and they, they asked if I would like to be baptized. I knew it was coming. I hadn't made a decision at that point, but it was a moment for me. I wasn't even dressed for it of, I'm a Christian. There's water. With this opportunity, what am I waiting for? And so I went in, and I was baptized. And a really cool moment for me is when there's these uh, Peruvians that were on the beach. We didn't know who they were. I don't know for sure if they knew what we were doing, but they gathered. And I remember when I came out of the water, these strangers were cheering, and they're encouraging me. And so I'd assume these were also Christ followers. And it's this special moment, even with strangers halfway around the world, you can share this powerful testimony of what God has done in you. And the story of the eunuch is, is that same concept. I'm a Christian. Here's water. What are we waiting for? I want people to know who I am now in Christ. And I, we were neighbors with a, a married couple at Crown uh, when Manny and I were first married, who also had a moment like this. Great couple. Uh, they have a handful of kids, and, and just last year, one of them, uh, she just was about to turn seven, asked her dad about the gospel, and, and at that moment, she, uh, she became a Christian. She accepted Christ, and it was a similar moment of, well, when am I going to get baptized? And like, well, we'll have to see. You know, this is during the COVID time. I don't know when we're going to do another baptism service. We'll have to talk to the pastor, and she's like, there's a tub upstairs, right? And they remembered the story, the parents, and they're like, well, yeah, I guess, what are we waiting for? And so dad baptized her in the tub upstairs. Maybe not quite as, as powerful of a public testimony, but the, the story is, is, is the same. And so we have that idea here that baptism if it is this joyful step of obedience, that it represents something amazing that's happening inside of you that the Lord is doing. It also becomes this part of your testimony of this living God who's, who's now inside of you and giving you this new life. So why do we baptize? Well, because it's a commandment, because it illustrates what he's doing inside of us, and because oftentimes there's nothing that can stop us. I think when we think about baptism, we can always think of the reasons why we wouldn't do it, how we can disagree with one another and I think when we understand it in the biblical context, it's one of those things that if you are a believer and you have, been, have not been baptized, you should really think about why you haven't. What, what are you waiting for? I think if, if you're a believer who has been baptized, you need to remember the significance of that moment as we encourage one another. And, and just, just to touch on that, we have a handful that are, are um, already expressing their interest to be baptized here on the 21st. We have plenty of spaces available. But if you're curious what it looks like here, it's one of those moments we're not going to require you to give a public speech or anything like that. It's a moment that we can work with you on. But it's, it's going to happen right here in the service. It's a very convenient place to do it. And I guarantee you, you will walk away encouraged by this. 
because we're going to cheer each other on in this moment. It's going to become a, a very powerful and meaningful moment of your journey with Christ. And just to note on that, if you are at home, if you're uh, uh, under 18 at home with your parents, we do want you to talk that through with your parents first because we want to respect uh, wherever the parents are on this. But I, I encourage all of you to be praying. If you're not one who's, who has not been baptized, be, be praying about this. You know, I don't want this to be, feel like a requirement, a dogmatic requirement, but this moment between you and the Lord that you joyfully go into this and that you choose to do this to express really what Christ has done into your life. So be praying for yourself for the rest of us. If, if you know others, or you can just be praying for others that are considering that moment. But this is, this is a, a beautiful moment we can share as a community. So that gives you a big overview of baptism. And I could probably spend a couple more sermons on this because it is just an amazing moment uh, in the Christian life. But that's, that's the first ordinance that we talked about. The second one is, is communion. Communion is what we're going to transition to now, uh, something we do once a month now at Maple Plain Community Church. And this, again, was an instruction from Christ that when we gather, that we are to do this to memorialize his death, to remember what he's done for us. And so in the theme of uh, death to self and new life to Christ, as we transition to this, I'm just going to read out of Ephesians 2, the first, the first nine verses, to remember why we celebrate this. Ephesians 2, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and its thoughts. But like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by our works so that no one can boast. It's this moment that we really boast in Christ. We remember, we recognize what he's done for us when he sacrificed himself willingly on the cross for our sins. We remember also who we were without him, but we celebrate who we are now with him. Everything we do is made possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so that's what we do now when we share the bread and the cup as we remember that death. We memorialize it. So just a few things if you're new here today about communion. Uh, we don't require any kind of membership in our church. This is, again, for anyone who professes faith in Christ. Okay? And the bread and the cup... Uh, these are symbolic, okay? These represent the body and the blood 
of Christ. And also today we do have a couple of options. So we have the pre-packaged elements you, you can use if you would like. We also will be passing the elements. We'll have a moment that, of silent reflection. You're, you're, feel free to, to sneak out and grab one of those pre-packaged if you like. But, but communion is really a humbling moment as believers. It's something we do in reverence. And so the scriptures instruct us that before we, we do this, we need to examine ourselves. We don't want to come about this with the wrong heart. So we're going to take that moment of silence just between you and the Lord to really just confess any sins, to be thinking about if there's anything that would keep you from this, maybe conflicts with another person. Confess those things to God and really, really come before him in this moment of appreciation of what he's done. So let's just, just take that moment to silently reflect on what he's done in, in our own hearts. God, it is humbling uh, to, to reflect on what you've done for us and to know that, that no person here is deserving of your gift, of your sacrifice, that what we truly deserve is punishment for our sin of disobedience. God, that we were uh, by nature objects of wrath, but by your great love you came and uh, you died for our sins and you raised us into this this newness of life the the fresh start uh, just grace through faith all of these things we could never uh, deserve nor work off god you are the author and the perfecter of love and it's it's just humbling god it blows us to away away to to think of that but i pray uh Lord, of, of those moments that we've fallen short, we're still at a battle with the flesh in many ways. Uh, God, that you would forgive us of that as you're so faithful and just to do when we confess that to you. So Lord, I, I pray we'd recognize our own shortcomings in those areas and we come to you in repentance and Lord, that we can trust in your forgiveness of that. God, in this moment as we now reflect and remember on what you've done for us, may you just just fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit, a new level of appreciation of your sacrifice. You died once for all, that we may be raised in new life, new eternal life with you. So God, in this moment, we just commit this time to you, and we thank you for it. We pray in your name.